This edition of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast is dedicated to the memory of King Kong Bundy, who passed away at age 61, and the Destroyer, who passed away at age 88. Welcome to this week's edition of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. My name is Sean, coming to you from London, Ontario. On this week's episode, we're going to look at the return of Smash Wrestling for the month of March, look back at last weekend's events throughout Ontario Indie Wrestling, and look forward to this weekend's WWE pay-per-view Fastlane, as we have one last stop before WrestleMania. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends and family or any wrestling fan that you know. If they listen to podcasts on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, or any other outlet, we're available for them to hook us up and be a part of the Scumbag fan page and this podcast. Be sure to check out our fan page on Facebook where right now we are doing our March Madness for the Ontario Indie March Madness every day for until March 31st. We're eliminating the best wrestlers of Ontario and to determine who's the best in 2019 right here in Ontario. Every day there's a new vote and you can be a part of it. Plus, check out our Superstar of the Day celebrating somebody's birthday. I'll be right back. After these short messages. Are you looking to get into the wrestling business? Well, look no further than the Tyson Dukes Wrestle Factory, located right here in London, Ontario. Tyson has over 20 years of experience in the wrestling world, and he's even been brought down to the WWE Performance Center to be a guest trainer. We've already seen the likes of Jordan James, Kyle Boone, Violet Lee, Jim Strider, Pharaoh Bowman, Chris Mitchells, and many more. Plus, the new generation that are coming from the second group, such as Josh Pine, Shiloh, Nova, Frankie War, and many more. You don't want to miss your opportunity to learn from one of the best in Ontario, if not all of Canada, or the world, in Tyson Dukes. 
So that's the Tyson Dukes Wrestle Factory. It's open Monday, Wednesday, and Thursdays. And located at 309 Exeter Road here in London. Coming April 26th to the 28th at the Ramada Inn, London, Ontario, it's Shockstock. Shockstock is London, Ontario's premier annual horror and subculture con- convention. Each year we bring, for a few short days, the real deal in sleaze, horror, and exploitation with celebrities, events, and vendors who know what the fans want. No insane lineups, no curfews, no problem. Enjoy jam-packed vendor rooms, a full weekend-long film festival with awards and fully stocked bar and lounge with nighttime events on-site and more. Submit your film via Film Freeway at filmfreeway.com shockstock. Presented by London's own Sultans of Slime, Vagrancy Films, The Grimm Brothers Entertainment, in association with Fangora, Raven Banner, and of course, Bob's Ultimate Meats. Hi, I'm the Fireball Kid, Jordan James, and this is the Scumbags of Wrestling Podcast. Welcome back to the show. Let's take a look at what's going to happen throughout the month of March and beyond in Smash Wrestling. This Friday night, Smash Wrestling returns to action as they team up with the Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory for Welcome to the Proving Grounds. It happens at Fanshawe College at Farwell Hall. The students of the Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory have been challenged to choose their opponents and meet on the Proving Ground. This will be their opportunity to show what they have in front of their family, friends, and fans and see where they stand in the Smash Wrestling pecking order and see if they can climb up that ladder. We're going to see students such as Jim Strider, Fireball Jordan James, Kyle Boone, Josh Pine, Farrow Bowman, Chris Mitchells, Alec Realm, and the ladies of the Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory, as in Violet Lee, Shiloh, and the debut of Nova. We might even see the debut of Frankie War and his tag team partner as they bring tag team action out of the Wrestle Factory. Also included on the poster, looks like we're going to also see the teacher himself, Tyson Dukes, along with his fellow Pillar member, Sebastian Suave, and the remix, Kevin Bennett. I've seen firsthand with my visits to the Tyson Dukes Wrestle Factory how the students have been sent out to create their own matches and present them in front of Tyson for his critique. If what I've seen there at the school is any indication of what we're going to see tomorrow night at Fanshawe College, then you're not going to want to miss a single moment of the fast-paced hard-hitting, high-flying action that only can come out of the Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory. And that happens Friday night, March 8th, at Farwell Hall, Fanshawe College, with tickets just staring at $20, which you can get from Fanshawe College or from your favorite Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory student. Then, the biggest news that came out of Smash Wrestling this week was how hard Alan Taylor has worked over the last while to come up with a list of the next 10. Make that perfect 10 
Smash Wrestling events that are coming our way between now and July. And it's a perfect 10 because Sean Spears, formerly known as Ty Dillinger, is going to join Smash Wrestling on July 6th and 7th. Plus, this year's Northern Tournament will take place on June 1st and 2nd. The full calendar events include March 9th at the Tannery Event Center in Kitchener, March 24th, the Phoenix in Toronto, March 31st, the Music Hall right here in London, Ontario, April 20th, teaming up with Barry Wrestling at the St. Paul Center in Aurelia, April 27th, Franklin Horner Community Center in Toronto, then back here in London on May 26th at the London Music Hall, June 1st and 2nd, Franklin Horner Community Center will be the site of the Northern Tournament. July 6th, Franklin Horner will be site again in Toronto. July 7th, the Music Hall, right here in London, and wrapping up the Perfect 10, July 21st. The Tannery Event Center in Kitchener. Tickets and information for all these events can be found at smash-wrestling.com, or you can stay tuned to... This podcast has all run down all the cards as they get released by Alan Taylor and crew. Just like this Saturday, Smash Wrestling returns to the Taste of the Tannery in Kitchener, Ontario for the Spirit Within. After the brawl that took place between the Pillars and Kill Screen at Brace for Impact, two members of each faction will go toe-to-toe at the Tannery Event Center. After losing the Smash Tag Team titles to the Halal Beefcake, Brent Banks and Tyson Dukes look to take out their frustrations on Anthony Gaines and Mark Wheeler. Then, the rivalry between the Pillars and Kill Screen continues as Sebastian Suave and Scotty O'Shea find their paths crossing in Kitchener, but also inserted into the fray is a man who impressed Smash Wrestling Management against Kill Screen the last time they were in Kitchener, and that being Joey Allen. Momentum is everything in pro wrestling, and all three of these men have an opportunity to earn it in this match. Then, in a match that was originally scheduled to take place the last time they were at the Tannery, Kevin Bennett and Mike Rollins will finally meet one-on-one. Their paths crossed before, and Rollins inserted himself into one of Bennett's rap videos. Does Psycho Mike have more mind games in store, or does his conscience make him do it? In a match that will undoubtedly be looked back years from now, as a historic moment for Smash Wrestling, we'll see the TV debut of Nova. She's a standout at the Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory here in London, and Nova is aiming straight for the top as she takes on Jody Threat. Threat has made a name for herself since joining Smash Wrestling roster and welcomes the challenge of the highly touted newcomer. As if it wasn't that long ago that she found herself in the same position. After losing due to a female distraction the last time he was in Kitchener, the muscle now appears to have found himself a new number one hottie in Violet Lee. On March 9th, he finds himself across the ring from a man who is not in the mood for his shenanigans, however, as John Greed views the muscle as a disgrace to pro wrestling. He will treat him as such at the Tannery Event Center. The new Smash Wrestling Tag Team Champions, Halal Beefcake, are set to defend their titles against Wrestling Factory graduates Alec Realm and Jordan James. The Wrestling Factory will look to extract a little revenge after Halal Beefcake 
took the titles from their trainer, Tyson Dukes, and his partner, Brent Banks, in a match marred with controversy at Brace for Impact. Can the new kids on the block make his history in Kitchener? The main event of the evening will see Tarek set to defend his Smash Wrestling Championship against Super K. Super K impressed management with his performance alongside fellow PWA roster members the last time Smash rolled into town. He's been rewarded with the opportunity of a lifetime, and it all goes down in Kitchener at the Tannery Event Center, Saturday, March 9th. Smash Wrestling returns to the Phoenix Concert Theater in Toronto on March 24th for Tell All Your Friends. In November 2017, Smash Wrestling needed an opponent for Mike Bailey. The man they call Cage reached out as these two had never fought a singles match and they both wanted to make it happen in Toronto. Unfortunately, that didn't happen due to short notice, but it turned out well as they saw Mike Bailey against Matt Riddle. But that didn't stop them from thinking about talking and having this match still happen. So, on March 24th, it's going to happen and this time Brian Cage will face Mike Bailey. In the spirit of competition, Brent Banks requested a championship match against Tarek and the match has been signed and they will face off against each other for the Smash Wrestling Championship. Good luck keeping up with this next match as triple threat tag team action is becoming a specialty in Smash Wrestling and these guys are looking to get in on those conversations themselves as the Renegades come to Smash Wrestling along with the return of TDT to take on Killscreen. Killscreen will be represented by Anthony Gaines and Scotty O'Shea. The last time Smash Wrestling was in Toronto, Jay Freddy stepped up in place of Daniel Garcia to go against one of the Pillar members in Sebastian Swab. Well, this time, he's going to meet another Pillar member as Jay Freddy takes on Tyson Dukes. Sebastian Suave put out the challenge during Brace for Impact, and it was answered by Matt Cross, as Sebastian Suave and Matt Cross will go one-on-one. We'll also see Jody Threat take on Veda Scott, and what was scheduled to be Lufisto taking on Jordan Grace has now turned into Jordan Grace challenging Carter Mason to step up one-on-one during Tell All Your Friends. And we'll also see The Butcher and the Blade in action. That happens Sunday, March 24th at the Phoenix Concert Theater in Toronto. The month of March ends on March 31st with Smash Wrestling returning to London, Ontario at the London Music Hall for Louder Now. After what happened at Brace for Impact, the Pillars will take on Killscreen in a 4 versus 4 action. Renegades are coming to London and Smash Wrestling, and they're going to take on the powerhouses of TDT. This match is going to be insane, as all four men combine speed with a rough physical style. London is developing the next crop of great female wrestlers, and on March 31st, they're putting them to the test as they all step into the ring with Jody Threat. You'll see Nova, Violet Lee, Shiloh, and Jody Threat in Fatal 4-Way action. Halal Beefcake will be on the card as well. We'll have to see if they can survive Kitchener and hold on to those tag team titles and bring them to London to defend 
Rounding out the card here in London will include an appearance by the Butcher and the Blade, Mike Bailey versus Kevin Bennett, and Carter Mason taking on John Greed. That's March 31st, right here in London, Ontario, at the London Music Hall. More information and tickets for all these events that I just mentioned can be found at smash-wrestling.com. Don't forget to catch Smash Wrestling every week on the Fight Network and also the misadventures of Violet Lee and the Muscle happening on Facebook. This has been your Smash Wrestling Update for this week. It's the news that everyone's been talking about. Chris Jericho's Rockin' Wrestling Rager at Sea Part 2, the second wave, is getting ready to go. Along with thousands of the friends of Jericho and me sailing across the ocean to have the best vacation of a lifetime. I want to tell you right now, the hottest wrestling promotion in the world today, All Elite Wrestling, will be there. That's right. Some of the greatest rock and roll bands in the world. Some of the funniest comedians on the planet. Paranormal experiences where you'll be wondering, is this really happening? Well, the answer is yes. It is really happening. And so is Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea Part 2, Second Wave. Sign up for all the info for this all-elite vacation now at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. I want you on board Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea so we can all sail away, man! We'll see you there. Oh, yeah! It's a path to the Now let's take a look back on the Ontario independent wrestling scene from last week. I want to thank James Weber for sending in his results from the show he took in in Barrie. The first match of the night saw Kobe Durst against Mark Wheeler. They started off by trading elbows with each other, and Durst hit a rough rider for a pinning combination. Jesse V interfered and knocked Kobe off the top rope, and Mark got the victory. The women's championship was on the line as Jody Threat was scheduled to take on Alexia Nicole. Jody didn't show up and Alexia got introduced. Gabriel Fereza came down and did a promo and Fereza whispered in Alexia's ear and Alexia kicked Brad, the ref, right between the legs. Brent Banks took on John Atlas. Banks was introduced and then he left the ring. As Atlas came out, Banks attacked him. Banks was distracted by the fans and turned around to get a power slam by Atlas. Banks ended up grabbing a chair, and but the referee took away from him. Atlas put Banks on his shoulders and hit a reverse power bomb for the three-count victory. John Greed faced off against Josh Alexander. Both started off with a stare down, but Josh tried to pick up Greed and couldn't do it. Greed tried, but Josh reversed it, and took out his knee from behind. Alexander then hit a sleeper hold on Greed, and Greed backed into the turnbuckles. This made Alexander release the hold, and they exchanged headshots. Alexander threw Greed into the ropes, and Greed reversed it. At one point, Greed was on the second turnbuckle, and he threw Alexander down. He went to the top rope and hit an elbow to get the victory over Josh Alexander. There was a tag team elimination match that saw fight or flight Jordan James and Anton Alexev taking on Holden Albright, Jim Nye, Alec Realm, and Jim Strider. It was also announced that the first person eliminated would be fired. Unfortunately, 
That was Jim Nye as Gabriel Fereza pinned him. Fereza then put his hands on old school ref and is intentionally disqualified. Jordan James reversed a small package and rolled up Jim Strider for the pin. Anton was then eliminated by Strider. Holden Albright did a fisherman driver to Jordan James and he was eliminated. Holden Albright then pinned Von Vertigo for the victory. The survivors of this match were Holden Albright and Alec Realm. Realm had asked Albright if he wanted to team up to go after the tag team titles, but Albright said, nope, I'm going after the heavyweight title. So, not sure what's going to happen as far as Alec having a chance at a title of his choice. But we do know that Albright is aiming for whoever the champion is the next time they come through, Barry. And that was going to be decided in the next match, as heavyweight champion Tyson Dukes took on Lionel Knight. The match started off with Dukes doing a rolling fireman's carry, but Knight did his arm takeover to an armbar submission. They both keep reversing each other's uh, wrist lockup. Knight did one, then Dukes kicked his hands away. Knight with an arm submission, then he gets up. Dukes took Knight's head and flipped him over him and took him down and tried to get him in a headlock, but Knight reversed it to another arm submission. Lionel Knight then kicked Dukes out of the ring, and Dukes ended up knocking out Nug Nargan on the outside. Tyson had Knight in the crossface chicken wing, and he passed out, and Tyson remains the heavyweight champion of Barry Wrestling. Before the event ended, John Greed came out to challenge Tyson to a match at their next event in Barry. Holden Albright then came out and did the exact same challenge as well. So next month, when Barry Wrestling returns to action, there'll be a triple threat featuring Tyson Dukes defending against John Greed and Holden Albright for the Barry heavyweight title. Once again, thank you, James, for this update. The following are the results from Pro Wrestling Eclipse March Mayhem that happened on March 3rd. These results are courtesy of Joshua H. on Facebook. Match number one was a singles match featuring Freedom Wallace taking on Tarek. Tarek appreciated the fans' respect he was given. Both men started off with back-and-forth chain wrestling, but eventually Wallace would use his underhanded tactics by gouging the eyes and pulling the ears of Tarek. But Tarek showed his fighting spirit and the will to fight back. In the end, Tarek would hit his detonation kick and the former Rogers TV champion would get the 1-2-3 pinfall victory. Tarek defeated Wallace by pinfall at 7.05. After the match, Gentleman Jeff wanted to get a word with Tarek and Tarek said that he's back, he's better than ever, and one thing he had in mind was the PWE Heavyweight Championship. Match 2 was a 2-on-1 handicap match with Rage taking on Harley Davidson and Timmy O'Connor. Before the match began, Harley and Rage did a confrontation with heated words exchanged between the two. Timmy, who was making his PWE debut, however, started the match. Rage showed off his strength and tossed Timmy around, 
but then Davison would get tagged in, and the two men exchanged rights and lefts. Rage would take Davison into the corner, and then bring him to the ropes. I would swoop him and run off to the other side to hit the pounce, knocking Davison down. Rage would bring in O'Connor, which would allow him and Davison to double-team Rage, but the Supernova superstars would counter it, running through their attempt to double clothesline and deliver one of his own. Harley would roll outside the ring, and Rage would hit the powerbomb on O'Connor and would go for the pin. Despite Harley being the legal man, the ref counted instinctively and gave the three count, but Rage said, Do it again, ref, scaring him to make another three count. The result was Rage pinning O'Connor in two minutes and 35 seconds to win the match. After the match, as Rage and Davison returned backstage, Cabin Turner showed up and assaulted Timmy, sending a message to Cody Deaner, as he stated when he made the challenge that someone would get hurt. After the assault, Cabin announced that his match was not for the heavyweight title, and he wasn't upset. The reason why, he explained, was that he was on the line was something that he felt Cody loved more than the title itself. The King of Shaw. Match number three of the night was a singles match for the PWE Flame Championship as Jules Malone challenged Beautiful Bia for the title. This match was made as Jules defeated Bia at New Year's Days by countout after taping her to the cable under the ring. Bia was looking to make Malone pay for embarrassing her. Before the match, Bia would hand the Flame title over to the Roller Derby girls who were invited by PWE to help promote their upcoming show on March 9th. Bia went for a high-risk move, but she got caught by Malone, who delivered a black hole slam and went for the pin, but the champ kicked out. The fight went to the outside, and the women would do anything to get the upper hand. Bia brought in a chair and placed Malone on it. She ran towards and into a crossbody, but Malone would not go down. So Bia tried it again a second time, and this time Malone went down. Malone retaliated by tripping Bia, causing her to go face first off the chair. One of the Derby girls, who had the title, attempted to come to Bia's aid, but Malone approached her. The two would exchange words, and they would fight in the crowd, wailing each other with the title. In the process, the ref kept counting while Bia was resting, in the ring, and the ref counted to ten. Malone was counted out, and beautiful Bia retained her title after four minutes and 52 seconds. Malone was not happy with the result, but neither was Bia, so she issued a challenge to the hardcore princess for one more match. This time, she wanted to make sure that there were no more countouts as she invited the roller derby girls to be the lumberjills. Malone said no, but Dr. Mask went to give what the fans wanted, and they wanted to see the match happen. Dr. Mask would announce that the first ever Lumberjill match would take place on May 5th. The next match was a four-way non-title elimination match featuring Daddy Davis, Phil Atlas, Tyler Turva, and the PWE television champion Leem Worldwide. Before the match started, Davis was upset that it was not a title match and said that the champ was scared of losing the title. Lean would ask 
the fans if they wanted the title match to happen, and they said yes. Dr. Mask then called out the general manager, Jamie Virtue. Jamie, who was Davis's manager at one point, asked if he wanted it to be a match, and then asked Phil and Tyler if they wanted it to be a title match. Virtue would make it official and told Liam that he would indeed put the TV title on the line. The ref checked the competitors to see if any were carrying any weapons. The ref would then find something in Davis's taste and pull out a chain. As the ref put the chain away, Daddy Davis went to his bag and pulled out some brass knuckles, but the ref would see them as well. He would remove them from Davis's hand and Liam stuck up from behind and rolled up Davis. The ref called for the bell and would do a fast count to Davis. Daddy Davis was eliminated by Liam Worldwide in two seconds. Daddy Davis was shocked and angry by the fast elimination. He would take out his frustrations on his former friend, Tyler Turva. He would take out his assault to Turva backstage while Atlas was beating up on the champ inside the ring. Atlas would display his disgraceful nature by blowing his nose on the champ. But after taking the former heavyweight champion to the outside, Lean would return the favor. After a back-and-forth battle between the two, Tyler Turva would return to the ring, but a second ref tried to stop him. The ref in the ring was also trying to keep Turva out while Atlas nailed a straight sidekick to the champ and went for the pin. The referee would finally see it and make the count, but it was only a near fall. Atlas became angry with Turva, which would allow Liam to take advantage and get the elimination on Atlas. Phil Atlas was then eliminated by Liam Worldwide at 10 minutes and 32 seconds. Turva then slid into the ring to try to pin Liam, but Liam kicked out. As Turva went to the ropes, Atlas pulled him out and attacked him and then slid back in to assault Liam himself. It would not last long, however, as both Liam and Tyler clotheslined Atlas over the top to the outside. It came down to Liam and Turva, and the two would battle it out. Turva would hit a reverse of the Vader bomb and go for the cover, but the champ kicked out, staying alive in the match. Very soon, Turva would become more and more desperate as the match progressed. He picked up Liam for a fireman's carry, setting him up for Death Valley Driver, but the referee gets kicked inadvertently in the head. As the ref was trying to recuperate, Turva would hit Liam with a low blow, shocking the fans, and then hit his signature dropkick. The ref regained himself and then would count the three, giving Tyler Turva the victory. Liam Worldwide was eliminated by Tyler Turva. The results, Turva defeated Worldwide, Atlas, and Davis to become the new PWE television champion. Match number five of the night was for the tag team titles as the Heartbreakers, jumping Joey Valentine and Mike the Match Hart, took on the death squad of heavyweight Jake Jones and Dylan Daniels with Miss April Jones at ringside. The last time these two teams met, they showed respect for each other, but in the rematch, it seemed that the respect was thrown out the window as Death Squad attempted underhanded tactics, including April Jones getting involved as April pulled her ally from 
the attempted sharpshooter and then threw one of the heartbreakers into the steel post. Mike Hart would finally lock in the sharpshooter until it was broken up. Jake and Dylan would do another double team with Jake delivering a right hand, allowing Dylan to roll up one of the heartbreakers and had a handful of tights to pick up the win and retain the tag team titles. Victory was cut short, however, as a mystery man showed up in the ring with a kendo stick and struck everyone in the ring with it and almost nailed April, who managed to get out of the way in time. The mystery man annihilated everybody with the weapon and would hold up one of the tag team titles, perhaps issuing a challenge to Death Squad. The main event was a singles match for the right to be called the King of Schwa. Cadman Turner took on the King of Schwa, Cody Diener. Cadman and Diener would begin the match on the outside and fight in the crowd, using everything around them. Chairs, tables, and even one of the derby girls helped Cody as a battering ram to take out Cadman. Eventually, the match would return to the ring. Both men battled back and forth. The fans were in full support of their rightful king, Cody. Cadman would take the heavyweight title and attempt to use it, but the ref warned him that he would be disqualified. Cadman ignored the ref and went to strike Diener, but Cody ducked it and took him down. Cody would attempt to return the favor, but Cadman caught him with a big boot. Cadman would go for a chokeslam, but Diener reversed it. Diener would then set Cadman up for a DDT and place the title on the canvas and make Cadman's head hit the title. He went for the cover, but the referee was tapping Cody on the back, telling him that the match was over, and he called for a bell. Cody thought that he won the match, but the referee pulled his arm down and said he was disqualified and warded Cadman the robe and crown. Cadman was now the new king of Schwa. Cadman celebrated his victory, much to the disbelief of Diener and his fans. Diener would not let his royal subjects be humiliated as he challenged Cadman to a winner-takes-all match on May 5th, crown versus title, where one man would leave with both the PWE heavyweight title and the crown. Thank you for sending in those results, and here are the upcoming events for this weekend and next weekend. This Friday, Smash Wrestling and Tyson Duke's Wrestling Factory present Welcome to the Proving Grounds at Fanshawe College. Doors open at 7 with bell time at 8. On Saturday, March 9th, Smash Wrestling presents The Spirit Within in Kitchener at the Tannery. On March 10th, New School Wrestling presents Hammer at Home 2 in Hamilton at 1 p.m. You'll see Ronchi Ronnie take on Tyler Arrow. Matthew Grant will face off against Anthony Kingdom James. Team Pretty takes on Corey Stone and Evan Greenway. Alley Cat faces off against Sabrina Kyle. For the NSW Brass Knuckles Championship, Holden Albright defends against Jeff Black. Six-man tag team match sees Locked and Loaded and Solo taking on Fight or Flight and Logan Savage. The Inner Cities Championship is on the line in a four-way dance with Stratosphere taking on San Andreas, Scotty O'Shea, and Taylor K. Dean. And the 
NSW Championship is on the line in an open challenge with Dylan Daniels facing whoever steps up to the plate. That's Hammer at Home 2, presented by New School Wrestling in Hamilton on Sunday, March 10th at 1 p.m. Also on Sunday, March 10th in Hamilton, Ontario at 4 p.m., though, Alpha One Wrestling presents Watch the Throne 6. The Zero Gravity title will be on the line as Champion Cheech defends against BMD and Cody Lane. The Outer Limits title will be defended in a six-way elimination, with Champion Justin Sane defending against Ricky Shane Page, Mark Wheeler, Easy e Swoggle, and Danny Adams. In a match that if Western Med loses, they're gone forever, the A1 Tag Team titles are on the line in best 203 falls match with champion Space Pirates defending against Western Med Connection. The NWA National Championship is on the line with champion Willie Mack defending against Josh Alexander. Trey Miguel will go one-on-one against MJF. There'll be a four-way tag team match featuring Fuller House, Lotus, Savage Society, and Punk Rock Pussycats. There'll also be an appearance by Scott Steiner. So that's Alpha One Wrestling presenting Watch the Throne 6, Sunday, March 10th at 4 p.m. in Hamilton, Ontario. And finally on our calendar, on March 16th, PWA Wrestling returns to Kitchener at the Alpine Club of Kitchener. Bell time is 7 o'clock, and you can get tickets by going to CanadianProWrestling.com. And this has been your independent wrestling calendar for Ontario for the next two weeks. This show to all the fans of the Buffalo Brothers, Daniel Garcia, Puff, Kevin Blackwood, and the remix Kevin Bennett. As you all know, in early January, they were on their way home from an FLQ show in Quebec, and just before they got home, they hit some ice on a bridge and spun out, causing a horrific car crash. Thankfully, we've already seen the likes of Puff and Kevin Bennett make their way back to the wrestling ring. We're still waiting on Kevin Blackwood and Daniel Garcia to do so as well. However, it's a longer road for them to recover, and expenses are piling up. Initially, there were some GoFundMe pages created for them, and a lot of fans donated, and it is greatly appreciated. However, since then, not much has been said, but for the month of March, we're going to continue giving back to the Buffalo Brothers with our draw for the autographed t-shirt Scumbags Wrestling Podcast logo that was signed by the ladies of the Canusa Classic in October when they were here for Comic-Con, plus for the month of March, I'm throwing in another offer that if you buy a Scumbags Wrestling t-shirt, whether it's our original logo or our podcast shirt from Twisted Tees, I will be donating my profit from that also to the Buffalo Brothers Recovery Fund, so all month of March, you can give back to these guys and help them get back on their feet and back into the wrestling ring. 
Tickets for the draw are three for five dollars or ten for ten. I accept e-transfers for your payment for tickets and will be doing the draw just before the WWE Hall of Fame on April 6th. And for t-shirts, they're just $25 and you can order them either directly through Twisted Tees or through me and we'll get them ordered in time for April. Help support the Buffalo Brothers as they recover and return to the ring. Hey, I'm Alec Realm, and you're listening to the Scumbags of Wrestling podcast. Let's look at the news in the world of wrestling this past week. With MLW changing their recording schedules, it's made it impossible for Tony Schiavone to continue with his broadcasting duties with them at this time. So, they've just recently brought in Jim Cornette. He will also serve as an agent with MLW, along with being a broadcaster. Cornette made mention of this on his recent podcast, and said that he was only being brought in to work the New York shows at Malrose Ballroom during WrestleMania weekend, but was brought in to replace Shivani during the recent tapings in Chicago. He currently does not have a contract with MLW, but is open to doing more dates with them if needed. He also spent time doing some coaching with the talent for doing promos. It came out late Monday night, early Tuesday morning, that Chris Palis, best recognized as King Kong Bundy, had passed away at age 61. He began his career in 1981, going under the names of Chris Canyon and Chris Cannon. While he worked world-class championship wrestling and NWA down in the Texas area where he ended up picking up the Bundy name, he'll be most recognized as being in the main event with Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 2 in the steel cage, plus then the following year being at the Silverdome in the six-man tag with Hillbilly Jim and the four midgets. He returned to WWE in 1994, where he ended up being part of the Million Dollar Corporation and had a match against Undertaker at WrestleMania 11. I'd like to send my thoughts and prayers out to the friends and family of King Kong Bundy, and may he rest in peace. It was also announced on Thursday that the destroyer, Dick Bayer, passed away at age 88. His career started in 1954 with a major transition to the character that he'd be most famously known as in 1962. He ended up taking the WWE title away from Classy Freddie Blassie and held it until 1963. He became a cultural icon for Japan in 1963 and was recognized as the most famous wrestler in the history of the country. He worked as part of Giant Baba's All Japan Pro Wrestling in 1973 until 79, and he had his last match in 1979 in Japan in 1993 at the age of 63. So definitely a long career for him and like to send condolences on to his family as well. And in a somewhat related to the wrestling business death, Luke Perry passed away at the age of 52 after a major stroke. He was a huge wrestling fan, but fans now would recognize him somewhat as the fact that he's the father of recent 
AEW signee Jungle Boy. We wish his family condolences during this time of loss. Juice and Thunder Liger has uh, announced that he's going to retire in January of 2020 in the Tokyo Dome. WWE announced on Thursday that WrestleMania 36 is going to return to Tampa, Florida. Jim Ross mentioned on a recent podcast of his that his contract with WWE ends at the end of March. There had been wide speculation when the idea of AEW was being formed that he was one of the major players involved with AEW, but since he's still under contract with WWE, that has not been announced yet, and it's expected that once his contract does end with World Wrestling Entertainment, that it won't be too much longer before he ends up being announced as part of AEW. This, of course, would be just in time for him to be able to be the commentator for Double or Nothing in May. It's been noticed since the first week of the NXT call-ups that Tommaso Ciampa has not been back on WWE TV, and there had been a major angle filmed during the recent NXT recordings with Gargano and Ciampa. Those tapings were supposed to lead towards the match at TakeOver during WrestleMania weekend. However, it's been noted that he's been battling some neck injuries recently and was supposed to be taking it easy. I don't think being called up to the main roster helped too much of being able to find time to rest. He apparently has spinal stenosis, just like sort of people like Edge and Kurt Angle and even uh, Sheamus, who's currently wrestling with it. But he was supposed to get dealt with after WrestleMania, and unfortunately that doesn't seem to be able to be held off, and he's been diagnosed with needing surgery, and actually I think had surgery on Thursday, so on the next set of NXT tapings, they're going to have to deal with the title, which obviously he's going to have to vacate, and we will still have to wait for another chance for closure in the Gargano Ciampa saga that's been going on for about a year and a half now on NXT. This past Monday night, WD presented another edition of Chronicle, which followed the return of Roman Reigns uh, last week. He mentioned how he found out about his reemergence of leukemia was due to a blood test that was taken and was given the results during Monday Night Raw, and that's when he made that announcement. It turned out this strain was just called CML, which is, if it's caught early in stages, it can be treated orally instead of having to do chemotherapy or radiation, like with most uh, cancers. Amazingly enough, this new oral treatment worked super well for Roman Reigns, obviously, and he's back way sooner than expected, so that's why things have progressed really fast with the storyline with the S.H.I.E.L.D. reunion and getting him a match on this weekend's Fastlane. Obviously that's huge news in the world of medical breakthroughs and for Roman Reigns himself being able to sort of defeat this again 11 years after it was originally diagnosed. It was announced on Monday Night Raw that Michael Che and Colin Jost of Saturday Night Live's weekend update will be special correspondence at WrestleMania in April. 
This Monday, it's also been announced that Dave Bautista is going to return to do a face-to-face with Triple H, and that'll help set off their WrestleMania program even further, as there's only four more weeks before WrestleMania occurs, and oddly enough, this is the same building that he was booed out of during Royal Rumble when he won it, and Daniel Bryan wasn't in the Royal Rumble. So, he's already got a potentially heated crowd that already don't like him since it's the same city and we'll see how that pulls off there's been more details coming out about the reason why Arn Anderson was let go from his role in WWE it stems back to apparently one of the last uh, matches that Alicia Fox has had which was around February 10th ish and reports are that he was the agent of the six woman tag team match that she was involved in and he let her go out there to perform while being intoxicated. Those are just rumors about what happened. And because he was the agent on that match, he was let go. There's also been conversation that Alicia Fox has been offered rehab, which it doesn't appear at this time she has taken. And that could be one of the reasons why she has yet to appear back on TV. If that is true about Arn. It's kind of surprising considering his length of history in the business that he would allow something like that to happen. But who knows where people were thinking at that time, if anything. And all the best to him in the future. Because whoever he does work for, if he does work for anybody, or if he retires, you know, he's had quite the career in the world of wrestling. Last week on Something to Wrestle With, Bruce Pritchard, Conrad Thompson, Bruce talked about his new position with WWE and what that's going to mean going forward. And Bruce had mentioned that they still haven't really pinpointed what his role is going to be officially with WWE. He does have some sort of corporate role, but they're working out all the details with that. Could be more on the line of a consultant and going forward. But as far as it goes with something to wrestle with and everything that he's been scheduled, he's still going to do appearances that are already booked, such as Australia and at StarCast 2 in May in Las Vegas. But after that, things are up in the air. The podcast is still going to continue, and most likely they will find a way of bringing back the something else to wrestle with for the WWE Network. Jeff Jarrett was also announced this week as being moved up from being just an agent to being a part of WD Creative. And on a final note with the news, it was announced this week that Tori Wilson will now be inducted into the WD Hall of Fame alongside of the Honky Tonk Man and six members of Degeneration X. There's only a few more weeks before the Hall of Fame ceremony, so we should be finalizing the inductees very shortly because there's still rumor of the Hart Foundation going in, as they have yet to be officially announced. And there's also been talk I've seen of Taz and Brutus the Barber Beefcake rounding out the list of inductees for this year. X-Pac has mentioned on his podcast that there could be some changes to the format, as last year went way too long, and they might be taking away either the inductee, speeches or 
just having everybody cut their speeches really short. And in the case of DX, with having five of the six members being there to do the induction, they're definitely going to have to cut everything really quickly and say as much as they can in a little bit of time. Conrad Thompson has been keeping himself very busy. Not only is he the son-in-law to the nature boy Ric Flair after marrying Megan, he's the host of 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff, something to wrestle with with Bruce Pritchard, What Happened When with Tony Schiavone, an upcoming ECW podcast with Joel Gertner, but he's also putting together StarCast 2. StarCast 1 was very successful this past September in Chicago as part of All In and was broadcast on the Fight uh, TV app. It's going to happen again on Fight, but this time piggybacking with Double or Nothing from AEW and in Las Vegas from May 23rd to the 26th, StarCast 2 is happening. Of course, some of the obvious choices for panels are going to happen with Eric Bischoff, Tony Schiavone, Bruce Pritchard, Sean Mooney, and Jim Ross. But there's also going to be a Brian Pillman panel tributing to his life, Brett the Hitman Hart, Sting, plus the Young Bucks, Cody Rhodes, Terry Funk, The Godfather, RVD, Scott Hall, J.J. Dillon, Barry Windham, Tully Blanchard, Shane Helms, Jerry the King Lawler, Magnum T.A., Kevin Nash, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Tommy Dreamer, Lita, Jimmy Havoc, Conan, Sean Waltman, Jerry Lynn, David Arquette, Colt Cabana, Bill Apter, SCU, and many, many more to be announced, with one exception, because Maxwell Jacob Freeman has been banned from attending StarCast 2. StarCast 2 is going to be broadcast on the Fight TV app, and you can look forward to seeing deals for that. Bracelets and tickets for the event also go on sale Tuesday, February 12th, and will be available for anybody that's also attending Double or Nothing. If StarCast 1 was any indication of what to expect, StarCast 2 is definitely not something you're going to miss. I'm Joshua Pine, and you're listening to the Scumbags of Wrestling Podcast. Let's take a quick look back at what happened this past week on WDTV, specifically Raw and SmackDown. Raw started off with Roman Reigns in the ring. He said it's time to take back their yard, and that he then called out Seth Rollins, and instead of saying, hey, you took my spot, he was like, hey, you earned it. You've kept this ship going while I've been away. And he endorsed him for going for the title against Brock Lesnar. Then he asked for a favor from Seth. And he wanted to get the band, a.k.a. the Shield, back together one last time since Dean is leaving. And Seth wanted nothing to do with that. Roman explained himself. Seth finally reluctantly gave in. And they decided to call out Dean to get his answer. As Dean made his way to the top of the stage, he was then attacked by Elias with a guitar, taken out. Seth and Roman went to his rescue. Elias ran. Dean brushed them off. And we were left wondering, will this happen or won't this happen? Later on during the show, Roman approached Dean and he was brushed off. 
Seth tried to approach Dean and say, hey, you know, we're wrestling soulmates, regardless of hating each other, loving each other, you know, brothers fight type deal. And Ambrose just brushed him off as well, wanting to focus on his match with Elias later on. In Dean's match with Elias, he ended up losing it with a drift away, and Seth and Roman returned to the ring, tried to convince him to join him. He got all frustrated. He and Dean ended up leaving and going through the crowd and up the stairs. As he's leaving that way, out came McIntyre, Corbin, and Lashley to make fun of them. McIntyre said that they were going to offer them a match at Fastlane, but because of what's going on, they just look really pathetic and going to finish it off right then and there. It was a two-on-three situation with Dean watching, but his emotions were, I guess, getting the best of him. I was getting frustrated, and he ended up storming the ring and helping out his former best friends and cleared the ring. Roman ended up putting out his fist. Seth joined him and put out his and was starting to yell, come on, come on, let's do this, let's do it. As Dean's roaming back and forth in the ring, not knowing what to do. And finally, he ends up joining them to do the triple fist in the center of the ring. They played the shield music. The shield obviously is back together and will go against McIntyre, Lashley, and Corbin at Fastlane. The other main story on Raw this week consisted of the women's title as Ronda had put it at Stephanie's feet the week before. So Stephanie came out and announced that if Ronda is willing to sign a waiver holding WD no account, that the suspension will be lifted and it'll be Ronda on the outside looking in as Charlotte and Becky will fight at Fastlane to become the new Raw Women's Champion. When the end segment came and they were going to sign the contract, Ronda ended up showing up, stormed the ring, demanded that she gets her title back. She only wanted to get Becky back into the match. And for whatever reason, Stephanie goes, okay, and handed back the title and turned the match into a, if Becky wins, she gets into the triple threat at WrestleMania. And if she loses, she's out. No more complaining. No more attacking, and it'd be just Charlotte against Ronda. After all that was done, Ronda ended up attacking Becky and hit her with a crutch. And if you believe what was going on on Twitter, she claims that she was going to beat the shit out of Becky because of things she said about her husband. And this is part of it. They've kind of turned Ronda heel now. So it almost seems as though Becky has definitely a bigger uphill battle. We're not sure where Stephanie sits in the situation with that because one moment she's suspending Becky, unsuspending her, talking on behalf of her dad to lift a suspension against Rhonda, not against Rhonda. Who knows where that sits with uh, Stephanie, but... We now seem to have a heel Charlotte, a heel Rhonda, and heel tactic Becky, but she's in the Stone Cold Steve Austin position of being one of the number one faces of the company. So that's their build going into this Sunday 
at Fastlane with Becky needing a win to get into a triple threat at WrestleMania. Triple H adjusts what happened to Ric Flair the week before for the 70th birthday and how it got destroyed by Batista when Batista showed up and took out Rick. Batista had sent an Instagram message saying he wasn't going to be at Philadelphia because he doesn't like Philly, did the typical heel thing. Triple H called him out on that and how it's so cliche. He used Ric Flair's personal life and his real name mentioned about Reed dying. Kind of iffy on that one, especially when Triple H started tearing up. It seemed a little over the top. I can be down with the fact that he wanted to celebrate Rick for his 70th birthday, which he wasn't expected to have since he almost died last year and how they could have played off that. But the promo ended really strong with Triple H saying that he's got Batista has his attention and they're going to meet face to face in Pittsburgh next Monday. Rest of the show saw Lashley, McIntyre, and Corbin show dominance over Balor, Strowman, and Angle. This helped them, I guess, establish themselves as a dominant force that is worthy of going against the Shield. Uh, Ricochet and Alistair Black were getting Raw Tag Team title match against Revival. Unfortunately, that got interrupted by Gable and Bobby Roode, and the match got thrown out. That's going to become a triple threat at Fastlane. Natalia beat Ruby Riot in no time flat, but then Lacey Evans came out and Natalia was just staring at her as she did her runway uh, type tease. So it looks like they might actually be the first matchup against each other for Lacey Evans on the main roster, which is a good thing considering the role that Natalia has as sort of the gatekeeper of the women's division. If you can get through her, then you can advance. So expect to see Lacey Evans and Natalia in the near future. Tamina ended up beating Sasha Banks, which is the 50-50 booking when tag teams split up to go against each other to then lead to a title match at Fastlane. So we got Boston Hud Connection against Tamina and Nia. And Heavy Machinery ran gauntlet and took out the B-team, the Ascension, and the Major Brothers. Unfortunately, I didn't feel that this week's show was as fast-paced and as intense as the week before, but it's still a little bit of a progression in where storylines are going. Hopefully we can get through Fastlane and see what the next couple weeks leading into WrestleMania look like. Which takes us to SmackDown, where that started off with a graphic uh, acknowledging the passing King Kong Bundy. Eric Rowan and Dana Bryan were in the ring. They made fun of Kevin Owens, which kind of set where Kevin Owens stands in the relationship of the fans and SmackDown because it was kind of crazy with Vince McMahon endorsing him, but he's going against a heel Dana Bryan, teaming with a face Kofi Kingston on last week's edition. So they set the record straight that Owens is a fan favorite and sort of being the common man and going after the guy who comes off as an elitist in Dana Bryan. This obviously led to a main event, which was then Eric Rowan against Kevin Owens. It ended super quickly. 
There was some uh, brawling going on with Daniel Bryan involved. Mustafa Ali came out and made the save. And the show ended with Ali and Kevin Owens looking at each other and, I guess, being friends because of the save. Um, we'll see what goes on with the title match this Sunday. There was a in-ring segment with The Usos and Shane McMahon and Miz hyping up their match at Fastlane for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. And this led to Jay Uso against The Miz. The Usos tried cheating to end up winning, but The Miz ended up getting a pinfall with the skull-crushing finale. There's going to be the fact that he's going in his face with Shane at Sunday because it's Cleveland. His dad's going to be at ringside. They're setting up way too hard that you know it's going to end up being the Usos retaining and Miz getting frustrated and turning on Shane, setting up their match at WrestleMania. R-Truth and Camrella came out. There was going to be a, another John Cena open challenge for the U.S. title. And Lacey Evans came out, but wasn't going to be one of the participants in the match. Instead, it became Rey Mysterio, Andrade, and Samoa Joe. So it was a four-way open title match for the U.S. Championship. And Samoa Joe ended up uh, winning after Almas had already taken a Canadian Destroyer and Frog Splash from Rey Mysterio. And he ended up pinning Andrade to become the new United States champion. In a huge fast-paced match, Aleister Black and Ricochet took on uh, Sheamus and Cesaro at the bar. And Aleister and Ricochet ended up winning by pinfall after the 6.30 from Ricochet on Cesaro. After that match, though, Aleister Black and Ricochet were attacked by Nakamura and Rusev. And the Hardys made the save, so there was a stare down. Matt's looking in great shape, almost back to the way he was in 99, including wearing a red crushed velvet shirt like the Team Extreme Hardy Boys used to wear. Mandy Rose ended up beating Naomi in under a minute as Sonya and Mandy were walking back up the ramp backwards, of course, to mock Naomi. They were attacked from behind by Asuka, who then took out both Mandy and Sonya and stood tall as she's set to defend her championship on Sunday against Mandy Rose. There was another backstage segment of Randy Orton and AJ Styles. AJ is complaining about Kofi not getting his spot, and Randy approached and was just like, there's no wonder why it took you 15 years to get to WWE when you're concerned about other people instead of yourself, and he just then walked off. They're not doing anything at Fastlane on Sunday, but hopefully this kicks into gear next Tuesday as they're hopefully going to have a match one-on-one -on -one at WrestleMania against each other. The final segment had Charlotte calling out Becky Lynch to have a friendly discussion and, well, obviously, that didn't happen. And Charlotte ended up taking out Becky, who was already hurting from the beatdown that Ronda Rousey had given her the night before. Surprisingly to Charlotte, Becky was able to recover and put Charlotte in the disarmor. And officials came to break the two women up, and Charlotte was able to escape. And that's how 
SmackDown ended, and we're going into this weekend's Fastlane on the WWE Network. Canada's original and best horror weekend, Shockstock, the all-nighter freighter, comes to London Ramada in April 26th to the 28th. Already announced for the event is Sleazy P. Martini of Guar, and he's coming to Shockstock 2019. So you want to meet the manager with the mostest? You're going to get your wish. The Art of Clown, David Howard Thorne, makes his way to Shockstock. Don't you dare miss it. April 26th to the 28th, 2019, London, Ontario, the Ramada Inn. It's Shockstock. Following the news that the former hottest free agent in pro wrestling, Kenny Omega, is joining AEW. London Comic Con can finally announce that the best boat machine is making his way to Southwest Ontario for London Comic Con 2019 this October. Omega will be available to meet fans, sign autographs, and host a special VIP video game tournament. More details and announcements are coming soon. Check out London Comic Con for more details. You hear the rumble in here? The rumble is the sound of progression, and fundamentals are being made at the Wrestling Factory. This is Tyson Dukes, and you're listening to the Scumbags of Wrestling Podcast, y'all. Tyson Dukes is currently one half of the Smash Wrestling Tag Team Champions and one of the pillars of wrestling in Ontario. He's had a very impressive career over the past two decades, and it's only natural that aspiring wrestlers would want to learn from a veteran of his caliber. Since October of 2017, Tyson opened up the Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory here in London, Ontario. Students learned all aspects of wrestling. The first graduates like Jim Strider, Violet Lee, and Jordan James are making their names for themselves on the indie scene. Whether you're a student or a supporter, you can now be a part of the club and purchase your own beautiful zip-up hoodie. They're just $40 up to extra-large and $45 for larger sizes. Contact Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory directly on Facebook to order yours today. Let's finish off this week's episode with the predictions for Fastlane, which comes up this Sunday, March 10th, from Cleveland, Ohio, at the Quicken Loans Arena. It's the last stop on the road to WrestleMania, which will be just four short weeks away. As Fastlane is considered one of the B-level pay-per-views, it's not going to be one of those marathon nights like it usually is for the Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series. Including the pre-show match, there is only eight matches on the uh, card, and we'll hopefully have a better look at what's going to happen officially at WrestleMania. After a lot of stop and starts, the pre-show has Andrade taking on Rey Mysterio. Now, this is kind of odd that these two are in the kickoff match, but 
with everything that's been going on lately, kickoff shows have not been a bad uh, spot to be on. They get a lot of time given to them for matches and usually set a really good pace for the evening. There's been a lot of speculation that Rey Mysterio and Andrade could end up being on the WrestleMania card and it be even a stipulation match, which could be mask versus hair. And... To get there, something major has to happen during this match on the kickoff show. So I can actually see Selena Vega getting involved and helping Andrade win against Rey Mysterio. There could be some sort of major beatdown, but it would definitely be a hot way to start off a B-level pay-per-view on the pre-show and maybe even spark people to want to end up seeing it that might not have wanted to see it to begin with. Checking out the rest of the card, the main show has a triple threat tag team match for the Raw Tag Team Championships, and you'll have The Revival, Dash Wilder and Scott Dawson, defending against Aleister Black and Ricochet, and the team of Chad Gable and Bobby Roode. Now, this came as a result of Gable and Rude wanting their rematch, which is not guaranteed anymore, a defeat of Black and Ricochet over the Tag Team Champions, and Rude and Gable ending up causing a no contest this past Monday when they interfered in the actual title match. So these three teams will now battle against each other. It should be interesting to see how they keep Black and Ricochet hot without giving them the tag titles. I see either Gable or Rude taking the pinfall with the Revival retaining their tag team titles, even though we've seen them lose to every tag team challenger since they won the titles. But I think with the titles on the line, this is when Dawson and Wilder are going to step up and win, maybe even by sneaky tactics, but they're going to retain their titles. Over on the SmackDown side of things, the SmackDown tag team titles are on the line as Jay and Jimmy Uso will defend against former champions Miz and Shane McMahon. Due to the storyline of Shane and Miz being best friends and trying to impress the fathers, or at least Miz's dad, who's scheduled to be at ringside since it is his hometown in Cleveland, the Usos find themselves on the side of being the heels. Though I'm really not sure how long they're going to be on the heel side of things, because if things play out the way they seem to be have been projected for the last while, it looks like the team of Miz and Shane McMahon will not gain back their tag team titles. The Usos will retain. This will frustrate the Miz, who in front of his father will take out Shane McMahon, maybe give him a beatdown while yelling at his dad, anything's possible. And this will obviously set up Shane versus The Miz at WrestleMania. The newly crowned women's tag team champions, the Boss and Hug Connection of Sasha and Bailey, will defend their titles against Nia Jax and Tamina. Both teams in recent weeks have gone one on one with their opponents, and Bailey picked up the victory over Nia, yet Tamina picked up the victory over Sasha. So they're sort of tied in the 50-50 booking that WWE likes to do, but I do see the Boston Hug Connection retaining their tag team titles and going on to WrestleMania. 
to possibly defend against a tag team from SmackDown, if not a tag team from each of the shows Raw, SmackDown, and NXT at WrestleMania. Asuka will be defending her SmackDown Women's Championship against Mandy Rose, who will have Sonya Deville at ringside. I'm not sure which way this is going to go because there's been talk about a big push for Mandy Rose to eventually get the SmackDown Women's title, but that should have been saved for possibly WrestleMania, not at Fastlane against Asuka at this time. So I'm going to pick Asuka to retain the Women's Championship from SmackDown, which unfortunately has been almost regulated to a secondary title for the women because the focus being all on the Raw Women's Championship because we have Charlotte Flair against Becky Lynch. And with all that mix-up with Ronda dropping the title, not dropping the title, giving it back to her, this match is now stating that if Lynch wins, that she'll be back in the Raw Women's Championship match, which then gives her back her win from the Royal Rumble and eligibility to challenge at that time. And so obviously Becky's going to find a way of winning and be entered into the triple threat, which will probably be a main event of Ronda, Charlotte, and Becky at WrestleMania. Of course, the easiest way that they can do this without really ruining a lot of things is the fact that with the new attitude of healness that Ronda Rousey is portraying right now, she could end up coming out and attacking Becky Lynch, which technically the referee would call a disqualification on behalf of Charlotte, awarding the match to Becky, and she's then into the match. After what we saw this past Monday on Raw, the Shield will ride one last time as Dean Ambrose rejoined Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins, and they will take on the combination of Baron Corbin, Drew McIntyre, and Bobby Lashley. Possibly the biggest question in this whole match is where it's going to lead for Roman Reigns to have a match at WrestleMania, because he wasn't expected back this soon, so where does the storyline go for him? How does he get into WrestleMania? Could he go against any of his opponents on Sunday in a one-on-one match, which is quite possible. We could see Roman against Drew McIntyre, even Roman against Bobby Lashley. Of course, I've seen rumors of him against Baron Corbin, but if, in fact, this is the last ride for Dean Ambrose and he is leaving at the end of April instead of re-signing and staying, it would almost make sense for him to turn on Roman during this match and then see Roman Reigns against Dean Ambrose at WrestleMania on his way out. So while it's really hard to go against the Shield and not give them a victory on this night, I think for storyline reasons, it only makes sense that the Heels somehow win. And if not, then the Shield wins and Dean turns on Roman. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to say that the heels win. Could even have an appearance by Brock Lesnar to take out Seth Rollins and that will give them more heat for their WrestleMania match. And finally, Dana Bryan will defend the WWE Championship against Kevin Owens. 
this has been kind of wonky booking with the WWE title match because this was rumored to be the WrestleMania match with having all the vignettes of Kevin Owens coming back looking somewhat like the common man so that he can relate to all of us as opposed to being the elitist and tree-hugging version like Daniel Bryan is. And with the resurgence of Kofi Kingston's career and popularity, it looks like they've had to flip a couple things, and we now have the Owens-Bryan match happening at this event, which would then mean Daniel Bryan retains the title and goes against Kofi Kingston at WrestleMania. But then you also have to figure out where Mustafa Ali fits in all this because he's now returned and he's due a title match because he's defeated Daniel Bryan. But when you look at this match in particular, I do see Daniel Bryan retaining. Just a quick recap of my predictions is Andrade, The Revival, Becky Lynch, the heel team of Drew McIntyre, Baron Corbin, and Bobby Lashley, Asuka, the Boston Hug Connection, Dana O'Brien, and the Usos. This all happens this Sunday on the WWE Network with a one-hour pre-show leading up to Fastlane. I'd like to thank you once again for joining me for this week's edition of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. We're going to be busy next week because there's a lot of results to take down and follow up on the road to WrestleMania is going to happen. Everything that's happening in the perfect 10-pack of events for Smash Wrestling, plus the other locations around Ontario for other indie federations. If you attend a show, please feel free to email me at scumbagswrestling at gmail.com or on our Facebook page. Send me the results, and I'll include you and give you full credit for providing your results. Share this podcast with your friends and family and let them know that they can hear us wherever they get their podcasts. So until next week, have a good one.